take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. As we continue our study of uh, this great book. And in Ephesians 1, we're in the middle of a prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesian believers. He's praying that we would take these spiritual realities that we've been looking at in verses 3 through 14 and that these truths would become uh, realities. These truths would become the way we view ourselves, the way we view God. Paul is asking that the Spirit of God would take these spiritual truths and make them more consistently and comprehensively how these believers operated. And that's why they're so important for us. He's not just praying for intellectual knowledge, although that's part of it. You need to know what these things are. He's praying that these things would practically and, 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 and more consistently guide how we approach life. So this morning, uh, I want us to see three spheres of the power of God that we need to know more consistently more comprehensively. Three spheres of Christ's power, the power that God has already poured out to us through Christ. We need to believe these three spheres. We need to understand how the power of Christ operates in these three spheres. And we need to live out of the reality of this. So let's look at the first sphere. Uh, Go back to verse... 19 and um, the first fear of this power that we need to get a hold of is that we as believers of Jesus Christ we who are believers in Jesus Christ the resurrection power of Jesus resides in you through the Holy Spirit the resurrection power of Jesus resides in you now I must say uh, this was the last point that Pastor Andrew preached last week. And if you heard last week's message, it's a great message. If you haven't heard his message, you need to look at it this afternoon. I'm just going to briefly sort of piggyback on what he was saying to launch us into the second and third sphere. We see in verse 18, he says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And then in verse 19, he says, and, and I want you to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. What Paul is saying is that the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead and put him at the right hand of the Father, ascended at the right hand of the Father, in power, in glory, is the same power that is operating in you by the Holy Spirit. And none of you say amen. I think the problem we have is you don't feel that always. I mean, I I suspect very few of you wake up in the morning and say... The resurrection and power of Christ is inside me. Your family probably says when you first wake up, get a cup of coffee before you interact with me because there's an evil wind blowing in your life. We, we don't feel that this is true always. We, we, we don't sense it as true. And it's certainly nothing in the world is going to tell you that this is true. But this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, he's praying for these believers precisely that the Spirit of God would would show them the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is residing in you through the Holy Spirit. 
You have all the power in the world to deal with whatever you have to deal with this week. Because you have the Spirit of God lives inside you and the resurrection power of, of, of Christ is inside you. The power that defeats all sin and the fi- power that defeats all death, it is living inside you and is, God is in the process of using that power to make you a different person. And I think the reason Paul prays that the Spirit of God would show the believers this is because it's is elusive to us. We don't see it. We don't sense it. We don't feel it. And then we don't operate out of it. I thought last week, if you listened to Pastor Andrew's sermon, very, very insightful. As he talked about the danger that some of us in this room have, we are pretty self-sufficient, type A personality. How many type A personality people? Yeah, there you, go. you, you don't want to raise your hand. Yeah, I, I, in Princeton, we kind of raise our hand. That's good. That's spirituality. Type A equals godliness. You are too busy in some sense, my fear for you, is that you're too busy trying to solve the problems of your life through your own resources, through your own efforts, through your hard work. You actually think you might be able to do some of that. And when you do that, you forget the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is inside you through the Holy Spirit. Now, others of you, less type A, and of course, you, you, you judge the type A people. You believe they're crazy. And that you care about real important things like relationships and peace and rest and whatever. My fear for you, when you have a set of circumstances that are difficult, when you have uh, the world looks like it's coming unglued, and it is, if you haven't noticed. And when you see these things and when you see the struggles that you have, you, you tend to be defeated. And you're not really trying to work that hard to fix the problem, but you're not really believing that inside you, the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is living inside you by the Holy Spirit. And you're not drawing from that power. Now, of course, in the text we're looking at, how do we know this power? Well, Paul's pretty clear. You've got to pray that the Spirit of God will show you this power. Good question for all of us. You heard the sermon last week. I did. I actually applied it. How many of you are making Ephesians 1 this kind of prayer for your life? How many of you this week said, Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, show me the power that you've given me. Show me the resurrection power. Help me see it. Help me understand it. Help me draw on it. That's how you know, really, as a believer in Jesus Christ. You've got to pray that you would know it by the Holy Spirit. But how do you know that you know? I would say look at your prayer life, right, in part. How many of you prayed this week, Lord, I'm dealing with a set of circumstances that are very difficult. And what I need here is I need you by the Spirit of God to show me I'm in the the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is inside me to change me. But help me to apply the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ and that power to the situations I'm dealing with. Because if you're not praying to know and you're not praying to apply... My fear is you will try to do one of two things. Try to solve your problems, mostly in your own strength, with a little bit of an assistance of Jesus. That's not going to go too well. Or you will be defeated and discouraged. And look at your own strength and go, I don't have the power to do this, which is partly true. But never look to the resurrection power of Christ to help you move forward and create this new life that that power is trying to do. That's the first fear. 
the first fear of, of the power of Christ that we need to get a, a handle on. We have the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in us today. That's the first fear. Let's look at the second fear. We see it in verse 21 and 22. Let me read the text and then I'll describe this second sphere. Verse 21, Paul says, again, he wants us to know this power, the resurrection power that he worked in Christ. And then he goes on to say, far above all rule and authority, speaking of Christ and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. In a series of phrases, what Paul is trying to say here, and this is the second sphere, is that Jesus Christ has more power than any other entity in the universe. The resurrection power of Christ he's given us, right? Through the Holy Spirit. But then he goes on to say, he's far above all rule and authority and dominion power and dominion. It's interesting he uses these words. He uses similar words in Ephesians 3.10, if you want to look down at that. Ephesians 3.10 is talking about the spiritual forces of evil and how they are organized. Paul says in in Ephesians 3.10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. There's a sense in which Paul is saying that the church is supposed to, to, through Christ, is supposed to show the ineffectiveness of those other powers because Jesus is far above all of those other powers. And it's not that Jesus is just a little bit stronger than everything that we're facing. He's not just a little bit stronger than all the other entities. He's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And I think those words, uh, far above our rule, authority, power, and dominion, are certainly referring to the spiritual forces of evil, but I think it's referring to all powers, governments, economics, business, education, whatever institution or system of ideas and thoughts that, that have power in, on this planet, Jesus Christ is far above all of them. He's above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. This powerful Jesus is powerful now. And he certainly will be in the, in the age to come when he reunites everything under his authority. And then it says, and God put all things under his feet. He put all things under his feet. Jesus Christ is the sovereign ruler, power over every other entity, person, institution, power, spiritual or otherwise. He's that powerful. Now, this is kind of an important sphere to believe. Because I don't know if you've noticed, the world's coming unglued at this point. Our country, probably in my lifetime, is the shakiest I've ever seen it. I read an article by David Brooks. I I don't know. If you want to be depressed, you can read it this afternoon. I'm not saying you'll agree with all of it, but it's depressing. The title of it is, America is having a moral convulsion. America. <laughs> Let's all sing the Star Spangled Banner. He basically is writing an article that's saying that as never before, certainly in his lifetime, we don't trust the institutions that make our civil society work. Nobody does. And here's what he says. 
that raised my blood pressure this week. He says, one question that's haunted me while researching this essay. Are we living through a pivot or a decline? During past moral convulsions, Americans rose to the challenge. They built new cultures and institutions. They initiated new reforms. A, a, a renewed nation went on to its next stage of greatness. I spent my career rebutting the idea that America is in decline, but the events of the past six years, he says, and especially of 2020, have made it clear that we live in a broken nation. The cancer of distrust has spread to every vital organ. Renewal is hard to imagine. Destruction is everywhere and construction difficult to see. The stench of national decline is in the air. A political, social, and moral, moral order is dissolving. America will only remain whole if we can build a new order in its place. Have a great week. Well, when you see this and other thoughtful people analyzing what's going on in the country, but also in the world, there's a lot to be depressed about. There's a lot to be concerned about. There's a lot to be anxious about, quite frankly. But the reality is God's people, when we live in a broken world, the only way you're going to be able to deal with that in a constructive way, the only way you're going to deal with it in a biblical way, the only way you're going to be able to live in that world with a little bit of hope is you have to believe this second sphere of Christ's power, that he is, is the most powerful entity uh, in, in the universe. You've got to believe that Jesus is far above all rule and authority and dominion. He's above every name that is named. And not only now, but, but in the age to come. You have to believe that all things, in some sense, have already been placed under his authority as he sits at the right hand of God in heaven today. And my fear for us, my fear for myself, actually, is that the Jesus I actually think about during the week? That Jesus, the ascended Lord Jesus? I think most of us, we get excited about the baby Jesus, right? Right? I remember as a kid, I played in the manger. It was my manger thing, you know, manger set that was in my house. You know, and I, got, I could manipulate the baby Jesus. I could put him wherever I wanted him. I, he had conversations with, the, you know, all kinds of people in my little manger world. You think about the baby Jesus, of course, the incarnation is important, but I think sometimes we think about the baby Jesus because we can kind of control a baby Jesus a little bit. And of course, at the, time, at the time we celebrate the incarnation, we typically show the love we have for the greatest gift that could ever be given to us by giving each other lots of gifts. Good move, people. If you're going to face a broken world that is falling apart at every level, You're going to have to have a Jesus that's bigger than that. And Paul says he is praying that these believers in Ephesus, and he's now calling us to pray for ourselves in front of one another, that we could have a complete and more biblical view of this Jesus. Yes, the Jesus who died for our sins, the Jesus who rose again. But the Jesus who has ascended to the right hand of the Father, the Jesus who's far above all rule, dominion, authority, power, the Jesus whose name is above every name, the Jesus who is bigger and stronger and more powerful than any other entity, any other brokenness, he's bigger than all that. Is that your Jesus? Is that the Jesus you consult this week? Is, that the, is, is he the one you go to when you're in trouble? 
when you face a new challenge, a new trial, a new difficulty, a new struggle with sin, is he the one you go to first? He ought to be. He's the strongest, most powerful. But the reality is, for many of us, prayer is the last thing you do. I used to have this phrase, when all else fails, pray. That's crazy. It's interesting, we're going to be celebrating communion in just a few minutes. I want you to turn to Matthew 26 and just remind ourselves, because it's been a while since we celebrated communion together, remind ourselves what Jesus says about what's going on in communion. Matthew 26, verse 26. Again, this is the, the, uh, Matthew's account of the institution of the Lord's Supper. He says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then this is the verse I want you to see. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. You see, I think a lot of times in communion, we look back and we should look back. Jesus' broken body for us. Jesus uh, shed his blood for us. But when, when Jesus institutes communion, he reminds them, I'm not going to drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Part of the institution of communion is not simply looking back at Jesus' death. It's looking back to where he will rule and reign in the next life. He's in some sense, I think he's reminded him, yes, I'm your savior. I died for you. But I'm also the Lord of the universe with all power over everything. And don't forget, I'm not going to drink of the, uh, the fruit of the vine till we drink it again when that consummated kingdom, when everything is united under the lordship of Jesus Christ and we celebrate again. So I just ask you, do you know that? I mean, I've, I've asked myself this week, do I know this? I mean, yeah, I can get it on a multiple choice question. Is Jesus ascended, seated at the right hand of God? Check. Is he more powerful than anyone? Yes. But do I really believe it? Do I really feel it, so to speak? I live in that atmosphere. I've said this before to us. I had the, the wonderful experience of living overseas uh, in a church, an international church overseas, where there was uh, uh, a number of uh, believers, most of the believers actually were from Ghana, Nigeria, and Liberia. I was in the minority. And these university students coming from their countries, uh, living in a different country, just like I was, would have these prayer meetings continuously. Every week they had a prayer meeting, once a month, all night. And one of the Ghanaians there, one of the leaders of the student ministry, pulled me aside and said, Pastor, can I ask you a question? Why do all the Westerners, why do, why do very few of the Westerners come to our prayer meetings? <laughs> I don't know. And he says, well, I'm going to tell you why I think you don't come. I'm going to tell you because you all think, because you've got a lot of resources, you can solve a lot of your problems in your own power. You don't know what it's like to live where I came from, in my small village, where there was no doctor, there was no dentist. 
If I got sick or I had a tooth problem, I wouldn't see the doctor maybe for months. I basically either had to pray in the church or I had to go down to the local witch doctor and try to get it fixed that way. In your wealth, he said, in your resources that you have, you've forgotten that Jesus Christ is the only one who can actually help you. You've forgotten that Christ is the one who has all power because you think a lot of the power to fix your problems is with you. Crawled out of that meeting. Probably our story, isn't it? When push comes to shove, we either throw up our hands and say, this problem is unsolvable, I give up. Or we frenetically, in our type A personality, try to figure it out ourselves. Rather than getting on our knees and call out to the one person who is more powerful than any other entity in the universe. That's the Jesus, the ascended, glorified, ruling and reigning Jesus. You have to understand in a deeper way. That's why Paul prays for the believers. That's why we need to pray it for ourselves. That's the second sphere. Let's look at the third sphere. The third sphere is this. The power of Jesus is directed to us, the church. Let's go back to Ephesians 1. He goes on to say, put all things under his feet. Okay, this is Jesus, far above all rule, dominion, authority, power. And then notice what it says at the end. He says, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What Paul is saying here is that the power of Jesus, this all-powerful, all-sovereign Jesus who rules the universe has directed his power to us, the church. He says he put all things under his feet, gave him as head over all things to the church. So he's not only the head of over all things, but he's head over the church. He's sovereign over the universe, but also sovereign over the church. Then it goes on to say, this is his body. We are his body. We are the body of Christ. We are vitally connected to this head who is over all things, but over the church. Then this very difficult phrase that we could probably spend a few weeks on, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What does that mean? I think he's, what Paul is trying to say in human language is the fullness of him. In other words, the full Godhead, the full power and Godhead who's now um, filling the body of Christ and is filling all in all. In other words, God's power through Jesus, who is trying to restore the entire universe, a major part of that power that is poured out is poured out into the church because we are to be the place where things are being reconciled to God under his authority. We are the place where the power of God, the full deity of God, is now filling up this body of Christ. He's perfecting us. He's extending the reputation of Christ, bringing more people to him. And it's through the church in a primary way that Jesus is trying to fulfill his mission to reunite all things in heaven and earth. And he's trying to do it in us. Now, that's amazing. I, I, I'll be honest with you. Every once in a while, I said, that's your plan, Lord? Not good. 
I look in the mirror and I say, wow, you're trying to unite all things in the world through me as part of the body of Christ and through, through, the, through this outfit? I love you. That's the plan. I'll tell you, I, I was very convicted by this this week in all kinds of ways. All of this fear is what convicted me, but what convicted me is, you have to realize, I grew up in a pastor's home. From the age of 12, I saw the inside of a church, and guess what? It's ugly and sinful. I knew I felt called to, to do ministry, so I saw what the church was like, and I still did it. That's on me. <laughs> That's... My dad and I joke. Other pastors joke. I'm sorry. Don't, don't take this personally, but they, they all do it, so it doesn't matter where you go to church. They all do it. My dad will talk about the, the church is the most glorious institution on the face of the earth, except for the people, right? You probably thought that too. Some of you probably thought the, the world is, the, the, the church is the greatest place on earth, except for the pastors, right? Next week, when you, we have this little time when I'll be presented to the church, I'm calling it a roast. I don't know what you're going to call it. That's what I'm calling it. But this text brought me up short this week. Yes, the church is sinful. Yes, the church has failed in many ways. Yes, we failed as a church in many ways. Yes, we're all sinners, of course. But it doesn't change the fact that Jesus Christ, who has all power, who's given us the resurrection power inside us, the Holy Spirit, who's sovereign over the universe, is working his plan together, is head over all things, but he's also head of the church. It doesn't change the fact your sin and my sin doesn't change the fact that God's plan to bring the world back under the lordship of Jesus Christ is centered in us. And that is not dependent on how well we do. That's not dependent on how great we do. That's not dependent on, on our righteousness. It's dependent on his grace. But this is what's true of us. And this is what we need to believe. I'm reminded of uh, the screw tape letters. C.S. Lewis got this fictional account of a head demon talking to a lower demon. This lower demon's got a, he's got a person he's got to deceive and keep from, you know, following Christ. So this is a fictional conversation between a head demon and a lower demon. He says, one of our great allies at present is the church itself. (laughs) Do not misunderstand me though. I do not mean the church as we see her spread, but through all time and space and rooted in eternity. Terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. But fortunately, it is quite invisible to these humans. All your patient sees is the half-finished sham gothic erection on the new building estate. When he goes inside, he sees the local grocer with rather an oily expression on his face bustling up to offer him one shiny little book containing a liturgy which neither of them understands. And one shabby little book containing a corrupt text of a number of religious lyrics, mostly bad, and in very small print. When he gets to his pew and looks around him, he sees just that selection of his neighbors whom he has hitherto avoided. You want to lean pretty heavily on those neighbors, make his mind flit to and fro between an expression like the body of Christ and the actual faces in the next pew. 
It matters very little, of course, what kind of people that next pew really contains. You may know one of them to be a great warrior on the enemy's side. No matter, you're patient, thanks to our father below. It's a fool. Provided that any of those neighbors sing out of tune or have boots that squeak or double chins or odd clothes, the patient will quite easily believe that their religion must therefore be somehow ridiculous. How do you view Stonehill Church? Oh, we're sinners. We don't have it all together. But do you view it only on the human level? The very interesting people that God has brought to this place? Do you only look at sort of these external things? Do you not see that the power of Jesus is directed to us, the church? Do you not see that... He, he gave him, Jesus, head over all things, but given him to the church as head of the church. And we are his body, which means I am vitally and you are vitally connected to this head. We're not separate. It's not Jesus out there and us here. We, as the body, are connected to the head. We're, we're, we're all together. We're vitally connected with the one person who has power over everything. And he's decided to pour out his power on us to see his plan for the redemption of the world take place. Is that what we see? Because that's very different than saying the only thing, you know, the worst, you know, Church is a wonderful thing except for the people. There's a very real sense in which it's easy in a church to put our, our thinking about the people. I mean, yes, we are the people of God. We are the church. But the church, the most important thing about the church is not the pastors. It's not the elders, the deacons. It's not even you. It's, it's the head, Jesus And You've got to keep your mind on who he is. You've got to have a clearer picture of what he did. You've got to see that he is everything. And until you know that, until you believe that, until you live out of that, we will not be the people we need to be. One final story as we get ready to celebrate communion. Some of you know I've been rowing over the last couple of years. I was in the Learn to Row program in Carnegie Lake back in 2016. I was not awarded the greatest rower, okay? I was maybe one of the worst rowers, but I qualified because I went 10 times, right? So let me join the club. I rode all through 2017. I took two years off for the Olympics. No, no, two, two years off. Started rowing this winter, January, February, and up through the middle of March, I was rowing very regularly inside, erg machines, every day, rowing. And then COVID happened. We're off the water. I didn't think we'd get back on the water, so I haven't been training as much as I should have. But last week, we got back on the water for the first time, wearing masks, sitting in a boat. I'm in a boat of four, not eight. Now it's a group of four rowers, coxswain. And all of us really hadn't been in a boat for a couple, I hadn't been in a boat for a couple of years. They hadn't been in a boat for over almost a year. So needless to say, it was not a wonderful experience on the lake that morning. We were pretty good when we rode in pairs, when two other people set the boat so we didn't rock so much. But when we all rode as fours, it was chaotic. The boat was thrashing. Several times I would bring my oar back and I just missed the whole water because the boat was, you know, up like this. It was uncomfortable. It was awful. And I was paying money to do this to myself. I don't know why. I've never had so much fun doing something I'm so terrible at. It was interesting. I was thinking about this passage this week. And the coach basically said, listen, here's what I want you guys to do. 
you're, you're terrible. <laughs> he said, you're awful. You look like you've never rode before, which is very encouraging, by the way. He said, I want you to look at the head of the person in front of you. That's all I want you to look at. Just look at the head. And you do whatever that head does. If that head goes back, you go back. If it goes forward, you go forward. You match every part of your body to what this guy in front of you does. Don't worry about anything else. Now, that sounds simple, isn't it? The problem is when I started to row and I was looking at the head in front of me, I was tempted to look at all kinds of other things because the boat is rocking. It's going crazy. I'm looking at my oar. I'm looking at the water. I'm looking at, uh, you know, sometimes I'm looking up to heaven saying, is this it? Maybe I'm coming home to be with you. I mean, I'm looking at everything, the chaos of the boat, the other oars. I have a hard time just looking at the guy in front of me. And that's exactly our problem. We're in a boat of our lives. We got trials. We got difficulties, struggles with sin. We're looking at everything else but our head, Jesus Christ. So what I want us to do as we close, I think it's fitting that we celebrate communion together. You take that bread, you take that cup, you're reminding yourself of what Christ did for you on that cross, but you're also reminding yourself that we will one day drink again of the fruit of the vine with Jesus in his father's kingdom when that ascended reigning Jesus rights every wrong and puts the world back together. We will be with that Jesus who has all power over every entity in the world. We'll be with that Jesus whose power is being directed to us, the church, to unite all things in him through us. We'll be looking to him who has given us the resurrection power of Jesus in the Holy Spirit same res power that raised Jesus from the dead will lives in us. So what I want you to do is if, if you're home, you need to be doing this. If you're here, I want you to take, get your bread ready. And we're not going to partake. Uh, we're going to partake all together. So don't partake now. Just hold on to it. What I want you to do in this uh, minute is I want you to spend some time reflecting on the fact that Jesus died for your sins. Some of you may need to confess some sins. Some of you may need to just gaze at Jesus and thank him for his death in your behalf. I want to say to everyone in here and to everyone who is home watching in, communion is for those who've already trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. So if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I would encourage you not to partake, whether you're here or at home. It will not help you. It won't, it won't benefit you. Keep searching for Jesus. We'd love to connect with you and guide you through that. Take a moment, bow your head, hold on to the bread. Spend some time confessing sin. Spend some time reflecting on his broken body for you. And in just a minute, we'll partake together.